So on to lighter notes. Um, you know what I watched this past weekend, David? Uh, no, I don't. Pickleball. You did? Yes, I did. I, uh, you, I I tuned in. As an educational effort. Well, yeah, sort of as a validation process. A, a validate, <laughs> Not a validation of pickleball, I have a feeling. No, a validation of my feelings about the sport of pickleball. <laughs> the crowd was sparse. Action was boring. Production values were meh, if I may. I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't care that everybody in suburban America is going out to a pickleball court. I don't, I don't care. If in that case, then Starbucks is the sport of the future. Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and yes, even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. Along with me is David Paro. David, let's get started here. First of all, congratulations. You alluded to this last week, but um, great job with your work on behalf of uh, MoneyGram. Uh, new F1 team sponsor. Why don't you tell us about that? I know you want to talk about F1 in general. Well, it's a good time to be talking about F1 in general because we're just coming off of the U.S. Grand Prix from Austin, Texas, uh, which was a major success and certainly, I think, validated some of this momentum that everybody in this industry uh, and and sports fans across the board, I think, have been hearing for a while. Uh, but yeah, to get to what I was involved in, thank you, by the way, for saying that. It's been uh, kind of a crazy last um, month and a half getting ready for this. But MoneyGram has come on as the um, lead sponsor and in 2023 will be the title sponsor of what will be known as the MoneyGram Haas F1 team. And uh, Haas, for those of you that um, don't follow the sport that closely, is the only current American-based team. Um, they have their lead operations in uh, North Carolina. Their owner and founder, Gene Haas, is also a NASCAR team owner, along with Tony Stewart of the Stewart Haas organization. But their lead principal is Gunther Steiner. And for those of you that watch the, uh, and I'm holding up my shirt because I'm wearing my Gunther Steiner shirt right now. <laughs> um, for those of you that watch the Netflix series, he is the team principal and he's a very colorful character, just an absolute riot. Quite a gem of a guy, too, I have to say. So this is exciting news. Uh, uh, The sponsorship is not based on the fact that it's an American company sponsoring an American team. Haas has been a team that has struggled a bit uh, on the circuits, um, and they lag to some degree in points, if I'm being completely honest. But they they have an interesting personality uh, with a young attitude and are the kind of team that people tend to cheer for. But both brands are global. And MoneyGram, 80% of their revenue comes from markets that Formula One races in. And next year, there are 24 races, a record for the circuit. Uh, Three will be in the United States. There's some rumor about possibly adding another one, even looking at New York. I I personally don't think that's a wise idea. Three races for a global uh, sport in one country, I think, is a little bit much. And they have three interesting markets. But to get back to talk about what happened this weekend... Um, they set a record, 440,000 people over the course of the uh, weekend attended. And the race day on Sunday was 
was one of the greatest live event scenes I think I've ever seen. Now, if you've been to a Formula One race or watch on TV, you know these circuits spread out all over the place. You know, they're three or so miles long uh, to get around the circuit. And so there's grandstands in kind of every nook and cranny. Um, but the scene there was so wonderful, such a great cross-section of, of America. Um, while F1, as we all know, has a reputation of being very uh, glitzy and very upscale, and it is inside the garage and on the hospitality scene. But this was a true race fan audience, and I think that's the reputation that it's getting, is that Austin is the race fan market. The drivers seem to know it. They seem to love the race fans here. Uh, the sport and broadcasters seem to know it. And while Vegas will be its own interesting entity and will be really glitzy, um, this is this was the race that I think is you know is the race fan race. And I'm sure there were a lot of NASCAR and IndyCar uh, race fans there as well. Sure, people come in from all over the world. The Austin Airport was quite honestly overrun, but it was a great scene. NASCAR still beat it in television ratings um, with about uh, a little over one million in viewership on ABC. And uh, with about 2.3 million viewers for NASCAR, what F1 is doing a good job of is getting a little better of the younger audience. Uh, so that's all um, important. There's one other thing I want to add. Brad Pitt was like all over the place, like nonstop. They were trying to show him and everybody was trying to get their picture with Brad Pitt because he was there all three days, Friday, Saturday and Sunday of the weekend. And he never did an interview, but he is making a movie about F1 and it's Apple's backing it. And the checkered flag was dropped by. Apple CEO Tim Cook, the worst checkered flag performance in the history <laughs> of racing. Any How form. do you screw that up? You you screw it up by by looking completely disinterested and as though you do not want to be there. So you know Tim Cook is not the most you know he's no Steve Jobs from that regard, right? But he mm -hmm. obviously has had a pretty unbelievable tenure as the CEO. But I was wondering why Apple was involved. I mean, AWS is actually a a lead F1 sponsor. They're all over the place, and they sponsor uh, several teams as well. But it was the it was the movie aspect that you pieced together after because they had several pieces of business going on. But I mean, Brad Pitt probably would have been a better person to to drop the flag, but Tim Cook did it, and it was it was. We might have to show the video on our clips, but anyway, I'll stop there and let you and let you chime in. I'm I'm showing obviously a little of enthusiasm, not just for the work doing with the client, but uh, but just it was a great weekend in Austin. Well, congratulations again. Yeah, I I think you know F1 continues to trend in the right direction. They just announced that they re-signed their broadcast rights deal here in the U.S. with um, with ESPN. Right, you mentioned the fact that. Uh, the race this past weekend was on the network on ABC, but Formula One will be receiving $85 million a year in rights fees, which is good money, um, but it represents a 17x increase over the last rights deal. So clearly the worldwide leader in sports also sees the value in keeping F1 on their family of networks for the next, uh, at least the next three years. Right. And remember when we had, Laz on the show a couple of weeks ago, Mark Lazarus from uh, NBC Universal. It had already been leaked or somewhat known that ESPN was renewing these rights, but details weren't uh, announced and they actually did it this weekend down in Austin. But he said, and NBC, of course, has very strong interest in motorsports with an IndyCar relationship, with the NASCAR relationship. They said they wanted them. Uh, Mark was incredibly forthcoming, by the way, during our chat with him. Uh, on these type of things, and uh, but they just couldn't make it work. So uh, um, ESPN, uh, given 
you know, how ESPN Plus is growing in importance and how all of the streaming platforms for the various legacy media outlets, such as NBC Universal, those uh, rights are important. So ESPN, ESPN Plus. Uh, so the expectation will be that new content is going to be coming out. So it's an exciting time. And of course, you know, we started talking about this very early on in our in our podcast journey, Tim, but it's impossible not to credit the Drive to Survive show on Netflix for being something that really has helped launch this in the United States because everybody knows this show, it seems. Not everybody, of course, but right. you talk to anybody about it and you watch the show and you quickly feel like you know these characters that are involved in the sport, the, the, the team principals, um, obviously the drivers. So everybody kind of comes into it with like, we, we feel like we know these people. When we did our press announcement, to start the day, we actually did a coffee takeover in downtown Austin, something that's a very significant part of the culture. Uh, and I do want to give a shout out to Boom Ventures that uh, that uh, I brought in and really helped do a great job of doing that takeover. Gunther Steiner pulled up and you should have seen the cops come up, rush over to make sure that they got their picture taken with uh, with Gunther and, and <laughs> basically guarantee that nobody would get towed because we had a lot of cars coming up. Shout out to the Austin police, but I, I didn't tell on you. <laughs> it was a, a bit of a bittersweet weekend for Red Bull Racing, right? They won the Constructors. Uh, what was it called? The Constructors Cup? Yeah, they won the Constru Constructors Championship. Constructors um, and then Max meeting. Verstappen yeah. won the, the Drivers Championship. But unfortunately, the founder of Red Bull, Dietrich Mateschitz, um, died over the weekend. Uh, a billionaire who saw a small energy drink um, and saw the potential and turned it into a multi-billion dollar enterprise and not just a, an energy drink company, but truly a lifestyle brand, including action sports, extreme sports, motor sports, uh, football clubs all over the world, including MLS club here based in New Jersey. Um, so a bit of a, a, a bittersweet weekend for, for the Red, Red Bull folks. Yeah, it was a, it was something that, that, everybody felt, I think, over the course of the weekend. And, um, you know, I think they felt it was only fitting, obviously, that Max, I mean, Max is the top driver right now. It's, yeah. it's clear and, and he is amazing driver. And that team is just incredibly stout. And it started as a sponsorship, but it's more than that. If anyone follows Red Bull's sports marketing activity, they tend not to just sponsor things they own things they oh, yeah. they own the teams they own the events uh and they have kind of full control over things it's a brilliant strategy but it is one that he really envisioned and he was known and the thing you heard um being said about uh him all along was that he he wasn't that visible he didn't he didn't have to be everywhere he didn't he, it wasn't about his face it was about his brand but the respect that was shown on what he has built not just in the f1 garage but I think across uh, sports and what what he has meant, and because of him, that, that brand is represented from a sports marketing standpoint cannot be understated. Well, we spent a lot of time on F one, rightfully so. Um, you want to get in some quick hits before uh, before we take a break? Sounds good. Yeah, you wanna... I think we have a lot of quick hits. <laughs> we do, and if, hopefully, we can make them quick. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Quick hits. We're about to share some tidbits Things that didn't make it on the main list Doesn't mean we think they're not worth a sh First off, um, you know, most people know uh, about some of the 
anti-Semitic things that Kanye West has said. And it took a while, longer than most people would have hoped. But Adidas, a company that was literally founded by Nazis, um, finally said that they there was no place for anti-Semitism and they were going to cut ties with, with Kanye West. Other sponsors and other business partners have have done either before or after Gap. I I saw announced that they would no longer sell his his clothing in in their stores. But um, but Adidas, in my mind, was sort of leading from behind in this thing. Right. Yeah, I think so. But they were his lead fashion partner, so it was uh, it was significant. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to give them any sort of benefit of the doubt. They may have had to look at. Um, legal ramifications of what their deal is. I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of legal battles, but this wasn't like a one-time quick mistake, right? He's just absolutely leaned into this. Um, I think at this point, it's pretty clear he is an outright uh, anti-Semite. And uh, you're correct that that tie to some of the past of Adidas certainly wasn't a good look that they were in any way hesitant in, in making that drop. I don't know if you recall the South Park episode where they poked a lot of fun at, at Kanye and because mm-hmm. he couldn't get a joke uh, about <laughs> a gay fish. And he, <laughs> if you haven't seen that, you need to go back and, and look at it because he would basically, you know, anyone that would criticize him, he would, you know, try to kill. So that was kind of the joke that he just didn't get it. The level of offense was just so powerful. And, you know, listen, you know, anyone, anyone that comes back and says, you know, tries to call this in any way cancel culture is just being ridiculous because this was this was so over the top. And uh, I, for one, was glad to see everything yeah. um, dropped. You know, his and, agents dropped him. Yeah, kudos to CAA. We're, yeah. we're, we're very quick to drop him. So on to lighter notes. Um, you know what I watched this past weekend, David? Uh, no, I don't. Pickleball. You did? Yes, I did. I uh, you, I, I tuned in. Uh, as an I'm, educational effort, sort of as a validation process, a, a validate, <laughs> not a validation of pickleball. I have a feeling, no, a validation of my feelings about the sport of pickleball. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't care that everybody in suburban America is going out to a pickleball court. I don't, I don't care if in that case, then Starbucks is the sport of the future. You know, I think that's, that's the thing. I think that's where you and I are are coming out on this. You a lot more in with, you know, better, more entertaining language than, <laughs> than I have uh, mustered up. But I don't think either of us question the potential um, strength of this sport as a participation. That it no. may be the greatest recreational outlet there ever was that everybody can play um, for instance. But, you know, you think about, this business and what we do and what we've done um, in in sports marketing and think about it from a a sponsor draw a television draw a merch sales draw an attendance draw and then i think back to what i did this weekend or where i was where you saw this um, ridiculous outpouring of of you know people just coming to an event partly because of this growing hype but you know really now we're on a, a, a i mean there were four hundred thousand last year so it wasn't like last year's weekend was bad and then think about it in terms of pickleball. Maybe it does get there, but I, I agree. Just the sounds of the sport, you know, kind of this wiffle ball hitting this little paddle. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do to kind of create that, like when a golf, and they mic the golf swing and it, and that, that sound that you get, 
they got to do something about that, the audio side of pickleball, because that just isn't going to cut it on the big TV stage. But but I will give you credit for tuning in. I, I felt I had to, really. I mean, it was the first time I had seen it on my cable guide, so I, I felt I owed it to the audience and to myself and to you and to pickleball to watch it. Uh, well, good for you. Uh, and yeah. quite honestly, now if anybody says, "Yeah, have you have you have you even watched the sport?" Right, which invariably will be the question, right? And right. I'm I'm looking at you, Keith Cutler. Right. Right? Have, have you even watched the sport? I can say yes, I, I have. I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to say Keith. Keith is a, a dear mutual friend of ours, and he's a he's a solid listener, and we so appreciate that. But he does. He he always makes us think about things. Some you know he'll we'll get notes from him from time to time about various things. And um, I don't think I want to take him on in pickleball, though. I think he kicked my ass. I just have a feeling. I have a sneaking yeah. suspicion he'd be a kick-ass pickleball player. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Take no prisoners. And, we're, and yeah. you know, we are building the Weight Watt brand by going and speaking to Professor Cutler's class in a couple of weeks. That's right. That's so, right. We're looking forward to that. So you can join the ranks of people called Professor. So, hey, another quick hit that I think needs to be mentioned. Uh, Brittany Griner had her appeal denied. And mm -hmm. so she basically starts her nine-year sentence now. And while we kind of knew it was probably going to be a diplomatic situation, you know, hopefully those doors haven't closed completely. Uh, but this is just a sad day. We, you know, we've tried to follow this story, but, you know, this was the, the latest big news that came out. I'm not totally surprised, but it's still disappointing to hear. Yeah, yeah. As you know, we have continued to follow that story as we will. And hopefully now that uh, there are some uh, avenues for appeal from what I understand, but hopefully the diplomatic efforts to have her released will will continue in earnest. So uh, another quick hit, um, just when you thought it was dead, the European Super League, right, is uh, – is back in the news talk uh, they're talking about restarting that in three years um for those of you who recall the super league was a number of the world's biggest and most uh, prestigious football clubs trying to create a breakaway competition it was quickly panned um, and almost as quickly abandoned but now it's back and clubs like uh Aventus and fcb and real madrid are continuing to say that they're interested in some sort of super league so uh we'll see what happens you know the super league concept had gotten fired up and stopped you know so quickly that you know we almost forget that it happened and it happened prior to a lot of the news coming out on live golf but i but i liken it in a similar way um to what has happened with live kind of this idea of it i you know i wouldn't necessarily call it a breakaway because it hasn't been well i, I guess it's a breakaway so I thought I had thought it was dead uh, because, you know, even some of the owners came out and said, oh, yeah, that was dumb. We weren't we weren't thinking clearly. It was a it was a ridiculous move. We didn't take all these things into consideration. You know, sorry. Uh, and now it comes back. Listen, money always is going to be a draw. And if there's a way to increase that among these super teams um, from the various top you know, leagues, professional leagues in these individual countries, La Liga, Serie A, Premier League, obviously. Uh, Bundesliga, they, you know, they, these, there are top teams in there, in them. Uh, they're the, the haves and have nots, quite honestly. I guess the cool thing is, is there's, there's, you know, opportunities now seemingly that we never thought of for brands to, 
create something. I mean, this whole um, welcome to Wrexham concept where Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhaney bought the team and have created this brand, you know, and now they, they're on the map. Now, I don't think they'll be in, you know, be promoted up to the uh, Premier League anytime soon. They have a long way to go uh, to get out from where they are. But no, but um, I think there's a lot of Premier League teams who would be very, uh, very happy to have somebody like TikTok on there on right. the front of their jersey. Exactly. What about Jim Nance? When I heard the announcement today that this year would be Jim Nance's last behind a microphone at the Final Four, um, I, I was thinking I, I, it took me a while to, to remember who else called Final Four games because he had been doing it since 1991, over 30 years. And, and my memory went back pretty far to, uh, if you remember, when Dick Enberg and Billy Packer and Al McGuire used to call uh, college basketball back on NBC. And I remember them calling, calling the games. Yeah. And I think when Jim Nance started doing this over on CBS, Packer was his partner there for a long while um, before um, the, um, the current setup, which is Raftery and Grant Hill Mm -hmm. and Bill Raftery, one of my favorite analysts of all time by the way and i'm sure billy packer is as well 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 billy well billy packer you'd think would be because he did go to wake forest and um was actually on a final four team at wake forest he was two sport athlete at wake forest wow and um uh, we my first job out of wake forest was as the media relations assistant at the acc and he would come in every week and they'd pick the player of the week with my legendary boss named skeeter francis and Billy would walk in during the basketball season and they'd say, okay, here's my choice. And Skeeter would say, here's my choice. And they'd go, great, let's go out to lunch. That was how they picked the player <laughs> of the week, um, uh, which was great. For some reason, we were never as huge a fans of Billy Packer as you think we would be. I think because we always thought he gave Wake a little harder time. He never truly, we thought he should be a complete homer about Wake and he wasn't. I think that was the only reason. Wow. Um, but so Nance is saying goodbye because the Final Four is going to be in Houston where he went to school and has great fondness for. But he is going to continue on with the, his tour responsibilities, PGA Tour responsibility and the Masters responsibilities. Right. And will continue to work with Tony Romo on NFL games for CBS. So he's not going away completely, but to the NCAA, he's obviously been such a part of. Yeah, and congratulations to Ian Eagle, who I understand will be taking the microphone um, starting next year. Love I, Iron Eagle. I like the choice a lot. And, um, anybody that you talk to in that business will, you hear, they hear the name Iron Eagle and they'll say just not only a great broadcaster, but a great guy. So yeah, I'm, I'm I did, I did some work with him early in my career and, um, he, he was, he was a gentleman. He was, you know, he was, we were both very early in our career at that point and it couldn't have been a nicer guy and uh, all time best nickname that, you know, Chris Russo, mad dog Russo used to call him birdie when they were all on WFAM, when it was Mike and a Mad Doggy. Right. What do you got going on, Birdie? <laughs> uh, one more quick hit if we have time. Yeah. Hans Niemann and devoted listeners of this podcast will recognize this name. He's the young chess grandmaster who has been banned from multiple competitions for for cheating, has, has now announced that he is suing Magnus Carlsen and chess.com for $400 million for defamation. Apparently that's what you do now. When uh, for, for, What was, 
What's Patrick Reed's lawsuit? Seven hundred fifty million. Seven hundred fifty million. So this is not. So Neiman's, yeah, Neiman's being a piker. Come on. If he didn't cheat, if he didn't do what you said he did, he would seem to have a way better case than Patrick Reed. No. Well, you know, this intrepid reporter has dug a little bit into this story, and apparently uh, Hans Neiman has admitted to cheating in the past, but only in online chess matches for money. So he doesn't have a ton of credibility in this space right now. Not a good admission if uh, he's looking to defend right. himself in this, for sure. Right. When you admit you cheat and then you're suing for somebody for defamation, for calling you a cheater... I don't know. If I'm the judge, I'm a little bit skeptical, right? Right. I was laughing because this weekend there was a group of people sitting around inside um, the team hospitality area, and this discussion came up, um, the Hans Neiman situation and the way he cheated and everything. And I said, you know, it just goes to show you how much we get covered here on, wait, what? Yeah, we 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 break stories here, even ones including... We, we break stories and then we do the follow-up. Sometimes we break stories and then just look into it after the fact and, <laughs> and then do the follow-up. But hey, what can you say? We do what we can for you, the listener. I think it's probably time to take a break. We have a great guest coming up. We're going to learn about a lot of new stuff today. It's time for our guest. So, Tim, we're going outside our comfort zone today. Always a good thing to do, of course. We're diving into esports with a man from the inside, Dave Bilek. Dave holds so many titles, it's hard to list them all, but I do want to whip through a few. He is co-founder and CEO of pioneering esports company, Rect Global. He is president of Infinite Reality Entertainment, Infinite Reality being Rect's Parent. He is the owner of several other entities, including esports team organizations, Rogue Sports and the London Royal Ravens. He was the president of ANC, the Learfield owned event signage leader, and of course has a great sports marketing background with leadership roles at Van Wagner Sports and Entertainment and the Marquee Group, both places I work, incidentally. And now he's here with us, which of course makes his career complete. Dave, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. This is, I have. I have now officially arrived that I get to do a show with you two gentlemen. <laughs> well, we, we will say the same. And, uh, but I will say this, David, we, uh, you, this might be out of the comfort, comfort zone for you the first time. This is ne not nearly the first time I've been outside my comfort zone in this, <laughs> in the show. So I'm, I'm used to it. So just follow my lead. So let's jump right in. You launched Rec Global in 2016 after what could be described as a very successful traditional sports marketing career. Give us the primary impetus behind making that pretty bold leap into such new territory. So I had been working um, sort of on my own. I had, you know, as I think you guys have both done in your careers as well, I had hung up my own shingle and um, was doing consulting work for clients. And I came across a bizarre article in like Forbes or Fortune or something like that, that was talking about this uh, all new sport, quote, sport, um, that was competitive video games 
and it was selling out Madison Square Garden and the Staples Center. And so I actually brought in an intern to take me through why anybody would watch anybody else playing a video game and how it could possibly rise to the level of selling out giant arenas. Um, and I got back like a 20 page document from the intern and I knew immediately that the next 10 years of my life would be spent focused on esports. It's just for for guys like us who have done a thing or two in the traditional sports marketplace, it was so obvious that our skill sets could be brought to bear here because the one thing that was most glaring in the esports marketplace when I started with my partner uh, back in at the end of 2016 was best practices and processes. So I just knew that really all this was was sports just played on a different platform. And so we created Rec Global really initially to help brands figure out how to effectively and organically and um i think you know one of the words that is uh, overused in the esports marketplace authentically uh to insinuate those brands into the esports market um in a way that would allow them to you know test the marketplace but do it in a way that wasn't going to offend the sensibilities of the fan base so that's how we started it we started it with really uh not no great ambition um other than we knew it was a growing market and we understood that you know as i said we had done a thing or two in the in the real world and thought that we could add value to this nascent industry so now here we are you know more than halfway through that six, or 10 year timeline that you just mentioned where do you where do you see the evolution of esports now? Where is it in terms of things that we, for lack of a better term, in traditional sports look at as measures of success? Things like attendance, viewership, uh, merchandise sales, sponsorship revenue, things like that. Far behind in terms of uh, sponsorship revenue, far behind uh, with respect to broadcast rights, uh, merchandise, depending upon the organization, is actually fairly competitive. Wh what differentiates this market from others, from traditional sports market, the traditional sports marketplace, are the content creators and the influencers. For us in the esports market, that is the replacement of the broadcast deals. And so, we, if you are able to attach yourself to really um, well-known, uh, highly watched influencers and content creators in the space, you can generate significant revenue on platforms like Twitch and YouTube that aren't a replacement of the multi-billion dollar deals that the professional leagues get. But as an upstart industry, it allows you to be competitive, to um, pay salaries that are you know competitive in this industry and commensurate with your other uh colleagues in the space um and and so so from that perspective it is set up like traditional sports we are 
years away from it realizing the same revenues that traditional sports are. But where we're not years away is in audience. The audience in esports is akin to many of the traditional sports that exist today. You'll see um, Rogue got knocked out of uh, the League of Legends Worlds, which is their world championships. But the first week in November, there will be the finals, the world championships or um, worlds in San Francisco. And that match um, will do almost 100 million viewers across a variety of platforms. And, you know, when you start throwing out numbers like that, it's, it's not a fluke. It happens annually, every year, and it's not just this game. There are many games that see those types of numbers. So you know that the audience is there, that the market is constantly backfilling because young people, what do they do? They play video games, they watch video games, they watch, they play less traditional sports and watch less traditional sports. So the market is actually growing. So we know we have the audience. We're just waiting for the commerce, the commercial aspect of uh, esports and competitive gaming to catch up. Quick follow up for you. We, we're we're hearing. I don't know if anecdotally is the right word, but we're we're starting to hear certain things that the that the sport is trending downward a little bit as people are emerging from the pandemic, coming out gaming last and things like that is that a cause for concern from where you sit i i actually don't i i'd love to uh see the data that supports that it's trending downward i think that there's less talk about esports because as you say tim people are out and about now right it's okay. the uh apparently covid has vanished uh I, you know <laughs> um so um so so I, but the trend line has not gone down. In fact, um, as I said, you'll get 100 million people watching Worlds. Um, our influencers and content creators continue to generate greater um, impressions and greater audiences. I think what you're seeing, Tim, is the evolution of the market. It's less reliant on the competitive uh, aspect of the industry, it's it's becoming more reliant on personalities, which are what content creators and influencers and streamers are, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, to guys like us, it's it would be akin to, you know, watching Howard Stern every day, right? You you woke up, you listened, or or listening to Howard Stern. You woke up, you listened to Howard, and you did it every day. I did it every day for, you know, 35 years, whatever it was. It's the same thing with these influencers and content creators. They have a a crazy devout audience and that audience is listening or viewing their stream on a daily basis for sometimes six, eight, 10 hours a day. So it's there that you can find a significant uh, amount of um, audience impressions and then consequently uh, revenue attached to it. You know, Dave, I a couple of years ago, I went to that Overwatch World Finals at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And, sure. and quite I was honestly, there was I, I absolutely was guessing that you were there. And I was pretty amazed <laughs> by it. And I had uh, one thought, and some of the stuff that you just talked about triggered uh, this memory. 
was I, I was wondering if all of the things that make esports special as it relates to how brands associated with it and how content creators relate with it. We're trying to put all the things that the three of us have been involved with all our lives to that, to uh, to something that's just a little different. And you talked about, you know, these metrics maybe aren't the ones that we should even be looking at. No, listen, it, that's why I talked about authenticity earlier, right? Um, you know, that was the buzzword five and six years ago when we first started in this that if you don't do whatever it is that you're doing in this space authentically, you're dead. And and there were examples of that along the way. Dead is a, a very sort of declarative statement though. You know, you didn't do well, you got excoriated for it, you waited six months, you came back in, you tried it again with the learnings and you did better the next time, right? I, it's a good question though, David, because you know, what I said in the beginning when we first started this to my partner, Amish Shah, who um, I met, you know, just serendipitously, he's was a VC in Charlotte and we came together with like minds and created this business. But I told him early on that what was going to happen was three years from that point, the market would professionalize. I wasn't going to be the only one from the traditional sports marketplace coming into this market. Maybe I was among the first, but I definitely wasn't going to be the last because I knew everybody was going to see what I saw. And I said, when that happens, they're going to bring best practices. You get, you know, the crafts, the Cronkies, you know, the, the Wilpons when they owned the Mets, you know, um, Jerry Jones is now involved. Madison Square Garden is involved. So you have a lot of very professional organizations who have come into the space over the course of these last six years, it hasn't really changed much, much because the ethos of this market is defined by the players and the viewers. The, the gamers themselves will tell us what this market is. It's not the teams or the influencers or the content creators who tell the fan what it is. And I think that's really interesting. I've said time and time again, we as a as a market manage to Reddit. Um, Reddit tends to be, you know, very ferocious and uh, but they're real. And so, you know, if you're a uh, a fan on Reddit and you got a problem, you're going to tell us that you have a problem and you're going to slap us around a little bit and we're going to learn from it. And we're either going to agree with the opinions that we're getting on Reddit or we're just going to sort of ignore it and say, OK, that's just a kid who's sort of a, you know, a keyboard bully. Um, but in any event, it hasn't really changed the the spirit of this market, which is so unique and so different than what you find in the traditional sports marketplace. Hope that answered your question. I, I'm not sure I did answer it, but I hope it did. No, it does. And I appreciate it. And I, for one, am frightened by Reddit. I will say <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, it's a scary, 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 place, scary no place. Dave, we, we yeah. hear... We hear the term gaming and esports often used interchangeably. Can you tell us what the difference is between gaming and esports? And then also, how can brands sure. take advantage of both aspects of, of this? 
Sure. So I'm going to butcher this slightly, but the spirit of what I'm going to say is accurate. Um, if the gaming marketplace is a $100 billion annual industry, the esports marketplace is a billion. So um, esports just represents the competitive part of the gaming market. So if you are a a professional gamer, you participate and you're participating in um, events, tournaments, whatever the case may be, you're an esports participant. If you're a gamer, that could be anybody. That could be my daughter. That could be my nephews. That could be friends of yours who still play video games. That's gaming. So there is a, a definitive difference between what gaming is and esports and what esports is esports represents the best and most competitive and successful gamers in the market who compete and win money that is that's the difference tim that's that's i think how you you sort of correlate the two okay and and how can brands take advantage of both yeah so um look uh, you know brands do quite well taking advantage of gaming in general because you're you're if you're uh, a brand and you want to attach yourself to Activision or Riot Games or Ubisoft or EA those are massive publishers who have tremendous opportunity for you as a brand to integrate yourself into you know either a game or um or you know something that can be offered to the mark some inventory that they have that is unique esports is different esports you are as a brand participating with teams so competitive teams like mine like rogue or the london royal ravens um you are uh participating with leagues like the call of duty league or league of legends both of which we participate in um which is set up very similarly to professional sports leagues so like your thinking's on you know baseball basketball hockey whatever football it's similar it's it's mm -hmm. set up at least similarly um and so you know there's there's opportunities within those competitive events that allow for brands to insinuate themselves into there as well so it's just different you know gaming gamers and gaming tends to be a more broad reach and reaches all demographics and esports tends to be just much more you know avid and devout and so you're reaching the tip of the spear when you're uh talking to uh, the esports fan I was curious as to, to your thoughts on how you think the traditional leagues, sports leagues, and teams are doing with their esports offshoot brands, particularly in comparison to, say, first-person shooter games. Uh, I don't know if you have any involvement in that, but obviously the teams and the leagues are very focused on that, be it NBA 2K or FIFA, of course, Formula One, et cetera. Yeah, so gr great question. Um, look, NBA 2K is not an esport. It, it's not it's not considered an eSport by the fan base. it's it is essentially what you said, David. It's an offshoot of what the leagues are currently doing. Um, I won't speak for the leagues, but it feels like they, uh, the NBA in particular, are just looking to capture 
that younger audience. They should do that, by the way. Um, and I'm not saying that it's not competitive, and I'm not saying that they um, aren't making an earnest effort to be successful. I believe all those things are true. But at the end of the day, that's not when people think of esports. People do not. People in my industry, in the in the esports industry, are not thinking of NBA 2K or Madden or um, or any of those. FIFA more so. FIFA tends to be more lumped in with uh, the esports moniker than the others, than the other sort of traditional sports. But when people think of esports, it's first person shooter. It's the MOBA games, which is like League of Legends and Dota 2. And um, it's just a different deal. You know, you're just not you're, you're not getting the same audience and you're not sort of um, authentic to the esports space if you're trying to position yourself as an esports organization solely focused on one of those sports games having said that many of these teams professional uh nba teams as an example also have an esports organization that goes beyond the sports titles so, so you know some of them are involved with call of duty or overwatch or league of legends and so if NBA 2K is part of your portfolio. I think that makes all the sense in the world. But if you are just out with an NBA 2K team and you're touting yourself as an esports organization, I think that's slightly disingenuous. And I don't even think that's a controversial comment. I think that's, you know, fairly well understood. Before I ask you the next question, we have a tradition on this show, Dave, when somebody, when one of our guests says great question we want to give credit to the person who actually wrote the question so that was written by my inimitable co-host david so but thank wow. you jim thank amazing you. question david. we actually <laughs> we actually co-write them and we have no idea who's going to get to ask them that's just how <laughs> that's just how in sync we are on this show i love that love that so <laughs> so this past july rect was uh, was acquired by the metaverse and entertainment and innovation company um infinite reality so why why was the timing right for you guys to get folded into that organization and has it has it worked out the way you had hoped the way that we thought of this and this is a true story um we started hearing about metaverse and web3 it was all the talk we knew we needed to be involved as sort of a uh, a future and forward-looking business right because we're talking about esports but really we're we are an esports and influencer business we also have a talent management company and so uh, the way we positioned rect was that rect was a digital generation business right if you are a uh, somebody of a certain age um to you know who consumes media entertainment and sports through digital platforms you're part of the digital generation and we we started hearing about the metaverse in the same way back when when i started hearing about esports and we were like okay this is something that we need to go headlong into and we would kill ourselves if one of our major competitors had gotten there first so you talk about phase clan or g2 or 100 thieves or you know liquid or cloud nine any of the big titles wait that are what well known these are all the yeah these are all those things that tim says has like very deep knowledge on those are all teams that he just mentioned david i i'm <laughs> that 
that, that, that is esports organizations. Those are the esports organizations or teams. I I um, realize that I was simply show I was simply stating that you know you're based on your comment at the opening of this segment. That's what I do. <laughs> I set the bar remarkably low for myself. That is true. That is true. I love it. I love Dave, it. Dave, please go um, on. He does it brilliantly. Dave. Sorry, sorry, Dave. We we have this about once a show where we have to uh, give the, the time question, back guys? to our. Yeah. <laughs> Dead serious. Where was, where was I going with this? <laughs> I mean, that's on me, man. Um, Tim will know. You were talking all about the top organizations who have come. Yeah, in. The, I was worried. My partner and I were worried that um, one of our competitive teams, uh, teams who are competitors, would get to the metaverse before we did. And we had an investor who was a common investor in both companies, uh, Infinite Reality and Inrect, and he made an introduction. And very quickly, my partner Amish and I realized that um, this was the company with whom we should take this leap and, you know, take the step into the metaverse and yes it's been phenomenal we are we're putting together some amazing um showcases to provide to the marketplace we actually have a i, I can't scoop you right now but we have an enormous announcement that comes out tomorrow with um between infinite reality and a media company uh for whom we'll be doing um we'll be creating their metaverses and we're also going to come out in a couple of weeks at um, the Esports Summit in Vegas with a showcase on what could be done if you are an esports organization or if you are a traditional sports organization with the metaverse and how that benefits you and, um, you know, how it helps both from a monetizing perspective, but also from a fan engagement and a data collection perspective. So. Um, I, I'm yeah, we're really excited about the future and what this means for, you know, not just our organization, but the industry in general. Tim, could you believe he didn't even give us an opportunity to an accept a, to accept an embargo offer on this mm. news? I think we could I think we could squeeze it in based on the time. I, I, I did think of it. Back. <laughs> I was summarily rejected, gentlemen. I tried so hard for you. Okay, <laughs> appreciate that. Well, we we yeah, we do appreciate that. Listen, you've been very kind with your time. Just a couple more questions before we let you go. Um, of course, State Farm, a company that you know well from from your experience in the in the sports traditional sports industry, uh, they're a company that's leaned in pretty heavily into esports and gaming, um, and you've brought them along for the ride. Uh, tell us a little bit about how. A company which you wouldn't necessarily associate with esports and gaming has utilized those platforms to drive brand and business objectives. I give credit to my um, partner in crime, Ed Gold, uh, formerly of State Farm. Ed was uh, ahead of his time in this regard. And he came to me and he said, Look, um, how do we get involved? in the esports marketplace in a way that will not be offensive to this audience and in a way that allows us to promote the brand but not necessarily talk about insurance 
Um, and the, those were in the early days, right? We didn't want to offend the sensibilities of the fan base. And so, you know, what we did was we literally never mentioned insurance in the first year or maybe two years of our promotions uh, within League of Legends and Overwatch and NBA 2K. Never talked about insurance. Just um, the only thing we did was add value to the community. So we did things like tips and tricks and, um, you know, things that would be a benefit to the fan base um, as opposed to trying to ram down this fan base's throats that State Farm is selling all sorts of insurance to you. And it was an overwhelming runaway success. I mean, um, the League of Legends fans of the um, LCS, which is the North American version of the League of, Me uh, League of Legends League, um, they were uh, over the moon that a client with State Farm stature would come in and support the game that they love and do it in a way that didn't feel disgusting, right? It didn't feel uh, like they were just trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. They used very similar strategies so the the uh, the the announcer desk, the halftime desk, those types of things were used, but it wasn't an over the top type of bang you over the head experience for the fan base. So um, we were able to do it again. Use the word authentic. We were able to do it authentically and inoffens inoffensively, so that um, the fan base appreciated it and wasn't didn't get offended by it and sickened by it. Uh, early on and that that was an enormous help and you didn't get crushed on reddit then i take it we did not get cr crushed on reddit in fact i don't know that there were any negative comments at all in that first year that's yeah. like a testament to doing it right we and we were scouring for the negative comments because we were ready to sort of change on the fly uh but never needed to it, it really was uh and i'll tell you something as the guy who created the basketball stanchion uh, we got we got way more negative feedback from that than we got from our sponsorship within League of Legends uh, for State Farm. Yeah, something that seems relatively tame today, right? Yeah, I imagine you got all exactly kinds of pushback on uh, on that in the time. You know, I was going to follow up and ask you about some of the keys to success that you would say, but you've done such a great job, Dave, of peppering them through uh, uh, during this talk. So. Um, we would like to move to our normal closing questions that we do ask of everybody. Um, and the first one is. Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start Started working for Rainbow Advertising Sales, um, which was. Uh, a cable vision company and the parent company for Sports Channel. I worked in Sports Channel's national um, sales group. And actually, I worked at Rainbow Advertising for probably five years at the beginning of my career. Kind of what was the next step after that? Now I'm curious because I know a lot of your history, but I'm trying to think yeah, of what that next so step was. It went from um, Rainbow to, uh, I'm actually trying to the Marquee Group. Okay. Um, where I, I joined Cliff and Vino yeah. um, at so, the Marquis. See, I met you at such cast. a I met you at such a young point of your career, Dave. You did. That's right. Well, I was, you know, at that point, David, I was probably 
27 or, you know, something like that, 27, 28. So yeah, we knew each other way back when. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite an all-star me. team right there. Cliff oh, Kaplan, yeah. Vino. And oh, yeah, yeah. All yeah, it was, it was an it unbelievable. Was murderous row of uh, sales. It, it was an unbelievable group of people on the sales side and in various other aspects of the business. Maybe not the consulting side, but now I think on the consulting side as well. It was an <laughs> incredible group of people there. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, the other I, thing, yeah. whatever I learned about consulting, honestly, David, I learned from that experience. I, I had no idea even what consulting was until I got the exposure to you guys. So um, you, you know, that was I like that, that was the best. Well, yeah. it was always yeah, it was always great working with you. And I used to have so much fun in those meetings with uh, with the the sales team. I'll someday I will tell you about the story when I first brought Vino down to meet Bill Elliott, but that's for another time. Well, I'll tell you about the um, first time <laughs> Vino came in to to try to sell bull riding to my group at IMG, and we realized we were fraternity brothers from from where, David? Wait, uh, was it is it is it Dartmouth? Yeah, no, 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 it's Cornell. Oh, no, Cornell. No, it's yeah. Cornell. Cornell. I know it well too. I, yeah. <laughs> And the last thing we like to ask is one piece of advice you'd you'd like to give to someone looking to break into the sports industry. Uh, for me, guys, it's just be creative. Keep your eyes open. Um, this is an industry that allows for enormous creativity. I am the embodiment of that example. You can take an idea and you can bring it to life. Um, I did it multiple times. And you, you, you know, the, the beauty of the sports business is everybody wants something new, right? And whether it's new inventory, it's a new concept, it's a new event, uh, doesn't matter. If you've got an idea and you have conviction, you should go for it and you can make it happen. And um, I have proven that just personally time and time again, and I've seen it you know, hundreds of times over the course of my career where I'm like, wow, I, I wish I came up with that. Um, so I would just, that would be my advice is be creative, keep your eyes open and look for something that doesn't exist and you can bring it to life and you could make a really nice living for yourself. That's that would be it. That's great advice. We've heard something like that before, but you put it in a new perspective, and uh, and I think it's extremely valuable for people to hear. Listen, we know we're coming to the culmination of the League of Legends Worlds uh, 2022. Quarterfinals took uh, place this past weekend in New York at MSG's Hulu Theater. So this is why we wanted to have you on uh, at this time, because it's a big time on the esports calendar. Dave Bilek, cannot thank you enough for coming on and uh, sharing your wisdom and knowledge on the esports space uh, and your and your history with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Yeah, guys, thank thank you so much. I'm I'm humbled and and really appreciate that you uh, you thought of me and I was so glad to do it. So happy you reached out and I'm glad we finally got to get it together here. Yeah, best right. of everything to you. We'll uh, we'll we'll stay in touch on this stuff. We definitely want to keep looking let's, at the esports e area. Let's do it. All right. Take care. Thanks, Thanks guys. Okay. All right. See you soon. Bye. So big thanks to Dave Bilek of Rect Global and Infinite Reality for a great tutorial on the esports space. You know, you can get locked into what you know in this business, but it's critical to 
know the broad base of opportunities, particularly if you're advising brands. Uh, so understanding the esports space, I think, is important. Well, we've come to the time of the show where we take a little peek ahead. So, Tim, what do you have your eyes on? So I want to I want to give a quick shout out first to um, Aston Villa player Danny Ings. Uh, there's a tradition in football where the players come out of the tunnel and will typically be accompanied by uh, a young player, a young boy or a girl. Um, and Danny was uh, accompanied by a young boy on the autism spectrum who um, was very sensitive to sound. So as you can imagine, walking into a huge stadium um, can be quite overwhelming for even a typical kid. But for somebody uh, on the spectrum who is very sensitive to sound, it can be overwhelming. And this young, uh, young boy had on headphones. And in a show of solidarity, Danny uh, put on headphones so uh, the boy wouldn't feel uh, out of place or or different from other people and I just wanted to give him a shout out I think that's great as a as a father of a, a son on the spectrum who suffered from that exact thing when he was younger um, it was really nice to see it was very touching so that's number one um, and the other thing is we are less than a month away from the start of the World Cup in Qatar and we we are going to be having a guest um, to speak about that in a couple of weeks more more on that to come but a couple of things that I'm going to be looking out for um, in addition to what's going on on the pitch, um, a couple of things. Number one, Qatar is uh, requiring everybody who comes into the country to have two apps placed on their phone, um, which are considered spyware, which will give Qatari officials the ability to um, track and follow what those users are doing. And I read a quote from somebody who said, I think you're crazy if you bring your mobile phone um, to the World Cup this year. So I'm going to be I'm going to be keeping an eye on on that. Um, and then uh, also uh, FIFA has not yet committed to uh, a fund to support the workers who um, worked so hard over the last several years to uh, to bring the event to life. Uh, many of the FIFA sponsors have called for it. There has been a lot of reports of uh, human rights abuses and uh, abuse of workers, primarily migrant workers, in Qatar. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, if FIFA capitulates and and does contribute to that fund. So what about yourself? Well, first of all, yeah, unbelievable story out of uh, Aston Villa for sure. Um, in regards to this uh, stuff going on in uh, Qatar, it's. You know, it's what we all anticipated were going to be potential issues and some of which you would have hoped would have been sewn up before we got to this point and some that, you know, just too much is going on to be able to pump the brakes and actually get some of that stuff done. So disappointing in a lot of ways. Still certainly excited and anticipating uh, uh, the launch of, of World Cup, as, as I always do. Um, there's an event going on. Uh, later this week, and it is a preseason college basketball game, which normally wouldn't draw that much attention to me. Uh, it's Tennessee playing uh, Gonzaga, uh, two of the top teams. I, mm -hmm. I think Gonzaga goes into the season preseason number two and Tennessee number 11, so they're not just a football program, uh, obviously, and it's going to be played in Frisco, Texas at Comerica Center. Um, but they're doing it for what seems to me, because I've never heard of it before and I looked it up and have never heard of it before a pay-per-view for a preseason game hmm. and it doesn't seem like it would be the thing that would draw that like a boxing match or a ufc match or something like that but 
Um, they're doing it all for charity, and that's what makes this kind of special. It's produced by Chicago-based uh, Intersport, which obviously, as you know, has a, a big track record in the in the college space. Sure. And it's all to support the uh, McClendon Foundation and uh, John McClendon being a pioneering college basketball coach uh, and then professional coach and is seen as the first African-American pro sport coach. He coached wow. a team uh, at a, an ABL team called the Cleveland Pipers. So that's the piece that makes it interesting to me, right? That it's pay-per-view, okay, two good teams. And obviously Gonzaga has a has a fairly big following. They've been tremendously successful. They have Drew Timmy uh, uh, back, um, who is a, is a major star and is going to be a big-time pro player uh, at some point. And they're doing, but they're doing it for charity. So I'm mostly curious uh, to see how it does, and I hope it does well because of the uh, the foundation aspect of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I had not heard of that. Obviously, um, I, I wish them great success. I think there are ways with less friction, if you will, to raise money for charity um, through through basketball games. But hopefully, they're hopefully they're successful. So yeah, I mean, they just. The, the distribution is big. It's it's coming from the company In Demand, which is the largest distributor of pay-per-view and on-demand programming. So they're going to be accessible everywhere, no matter what your you know, cable situation or cutting the cord situation right. is, you can find it. So, um, But but it is going to be uh, interesting to see. And can you believe we're this close to college basketball season? I and love it. College basketball. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, thanks again to Dave Bilek for coming on to talk esports. Big time education for me. Um, Tim, thanks for putting up with me and uh, the stomping on guests that I've been doing lately. I apologize to to everyone uh, that's involved in this show for that. The biggest thanks, as always, go to you, the listeners, for making this a joy uh, for us to do every week. We do hope you'll hit that follow button on your favorite podcast platform and share with those that you think might enjoy this content. So until next week, I'm DP, he's McGee, and we'll talk soon.